Uh, let's see. Let's turn our Bibles to First uh, Samuel. Let's turn our Bibles to First Samuel chapter uh, seventeen. That sounds good. I'll tell you what would really sound good if someone would go back to my office and get my message. <laughs> On my desk. Either that or somebody took it out of my Bible, thinking that that would shorten the message. That's not the way it works. The reason I have notes is to keep it short. Otherwise, I just keep going and keep going and keep going. So, I mean, hey, we got all night. All right, John's back there. He's looking. You find it? 1 Samuel 17? Yes, sir. Hey. All right. You didn't take any of my other messages, did you? It's funny, at the Sword Conference, Brother Ross brought his message on the uh, treasure and the field. And I want to tell you, it was even better. It was even better than what we heard here. I mean, he, I don't know, he reserved something from us, kept something from us, because it was, it was fantastic. Well, then Brother Dan Carr, who's been with us before, you remember Brother Carr? Uh, <laughs> Brother Carr got up and talked about driving up to the Sword Conference, and uh, and they stopped at a gas station. And evidently, when he got out of the car, his Bible had fallen out of the car. And so, but he noticed it before they got away very far. So he reached over, he picked it up, and and, uh, and got it. And uh, then they left. And they went on down the road. And as they were going down the road, they'd, they'd gone quite a quite a pace, uh, quite a ways away. And. Um, he got to looking at his Bible, and he couldn't find his message. So he figured it probably fell out. He said something, and I don't know if it was a son or a grandson or whatever in the back seat, and said, yeah, I saw some papers fly underneath the car before we, uh, before we took off. And he said, great. He said, now I don't have the message. He said, evidently, another preacher found it uh, later on. And has used it, and it was my message on uh, the treasure in the field. <laughs> so he didn't get to preach that message himself. <laughs> that was hilarious. All right, First Samuel chapter 17. We're going to begin reading at verse uh, 14. Now, this is a long narrative actually going all the way back to verse 1. Uh, dealing with the battle between the Philistines and the Israelites with, of course, Goliath, and then David taking him on. We're just going to read a few verses to get us started. Notice in verse 14, And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now thy brethren and ephah this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren. And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took and went as Jesse had commanded him, 
And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king, will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killed this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear God, I love you tonight. I want to serve you. I want to glorify your most holy name. And I pray, dear God, you'd bless our time together. Direct my thoughts. There's so many truths in this chapter. Uh, and Lord, we need to limit ourselves on some of those tonight. I thank you for decisions already made by many of our teens this week. And of course, they've made some decisions before. And they'll make some more in the future, we trust. And God, but this isn't just for our teenagers. This is for all of our people. Now is the time for us to be faithful in serving our God and being the testimony for our God that we ought to be. We live in a wicked world. And even Jesus said, the night is coming when no man can work. We need to work while it's day. But that means, Lord, we need to be busy about it. So I pray that you do a work in our hearts and our lives tonight. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, you know, of course, we've got the story of the two armies. You've got the army of Israel and you've got the army of the Philistines. They are facing one another. But it's really not about Philistines and Israel. It's about God and false gods. That's what it's about. That's what the battle is about. God had given Israel the land. And because God had given Israel the land, of course, the Philistines didn't like it. They had inhabited a good part of that. And so uh, Goliath, who had been one of the children of Anak, the giants that were in the land, most of them were killed. And here's one of the reasons why Saul's having to face Goliath in this matter because Israel had not been obedient in taking out the wicked people of the land that were there before. But you've got the difference here between the Philistines and the anti-God of the Bible, uh, pagan, heathen, and they're sold out to what they believe. Believe me, the world is sold out to what it believes. The music, the drugs, the rebellion, the wickedness, 
the transgenderism, the multigenderism, the whole nine yards, the wickedness and filthiness of it, they are sold out to it. And they're sold out to being against the God of the Bible. They don't like the God of the Bible. They don't want the God of the Bible. They hate the God of the Bible. That's what this scene is all about. So the entire scene has to do with God. Now, we could talk about America, but you understand that America is just one of many nations throughout the history of all this earth. But thank God, there is a God, one true God, the only God, the God of the Bible, who offers salvation to all of mankind. It makes no difference what color of skin they are. It makes no difference uh, what nationality, what language they may speak. Jesus Christ died for everybody and told the church, we have the responsibility to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Doesn't make any difference where they're from. Doesn't make any difference what language they speak. Doesn't make any difference uh, how different they may be in customs. They are candidates for salvation because Jesus Christ died for them. It's not a matter about saving America. Although I would like America to be turned back to proper roots and all of that. But it's not about saving America. It's about saving souls for whom Christ died. We send out missionaries to countries around the world. Why? Because Christ died for them. And we have a responsibility, as he said to the disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That is our field. That is our responsibility. We cannot witness to a wrong person. We cannot witness to a wrong set of people. Everybody needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in this story, it has to do with taking a stand for God. Because the reality is, you know, there's a great majority in America that do not love the God of the Bible. Now, there are a lot of people that have a Bible, but they don't love the God of the Bible. And what I mean by that, they don't like what he says. They want a faith, a religion, that will let them do what they want to do and think that everybody ought to just be fine with it. They think that God ought to be fine with it. But God is a holy God, and God is not fine with sin. He hates sin. No wonder the church has been under attack. And you know, it's just like uh, with what's going on in this country in the last couple of years, those that are in authority have gotten a taste of church blood. They have ruled over churches something that they had not been willing to try in the history of this nation. But now they realize that they've had some power and they've been able to tell churches what to do and there's going to be a whole lot more of it coming down the pike. We better work while it's day, because the night cometh when no man can work. Well, let me give you some truths out of this passage here that I think will be a help to you. Number one, which camp you're in depended on your birth. I mean, after all, if you were a Philistine, you were expected to be in the Philistine army. Isn't that right? Depended on your birth. If you were an Israelite, uh, you you were expected to be fighting for the Israelites. It's as simple as that. Well, of course, to take a stand for God, there is a cause for him to stand for him. The things that we are commanded to do, the way we're commanded to walk, all of that. But we had to be born again to be in his army. 
In order to be born again, we had to take the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior because, you see, we were born into the wrong family. So what do you mean by that? We were born lost. We were born as sinners. We needed a Savior. We did not grow up knowing the true God. We had to be born again, and we found Him in Jesus Christ. Thank God for the salvation that He gave. But you would expect, you know, Goliath should not surprise us. He was brought up a Philistine. And it seems like to me that in all these stories, the only ones who are rebellious against their culture and their God are the Israelites. The Philistines seem to get along with their gods just fine. They love their gods. And they hate the God of Israel. I mean, this is amazing to me. Why is it that you can expect... Uh, Goliath, to be a typical Philistine, hating the God of Israel, hating the God of the Bible. Why can't we count on people that come from families that know God loving the God of the Bible? I don't know how much time the Philistines had to spend training up their kids to be Philistines. I wonder how many of their kids said, no, no, I want to be like the Israelites. Doesn't appear very many of them did. They're champions, boy. They were champions. They were big. They were strong. All of that. Israel was to raise up their people to follow God, to stand for God. But every time they got a chance to go astray, it seems like they did. They get in the book of Judges. They get into a new land. God's prepared for them so that they can worship him. But instead of worshiping him, they don't obey him completely and driving out those that had been in the land. And then they follow the gods of the people that God had put up for destruction. That seems strange, doesn't it? And yet I'll guarantee you, we got a great number of teens, and there's always going to be that constant pull away from God. The flesh does that. Flesh automatically does that. That's one of the things that they've got to be able to stand against. And there's a sense in which that is their Goliath. Something else about David here in this, David was obedient to his father. If you look in verse 17 of what we read, it says, And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now thy brethren, and ephah this part's corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp of thy brethren. It says back in verse 15, But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. We find David early on, we find him being obedient to his father. David understood something about the importance of authority. He is an obedient child. When his three oldest brothers are off at the battle, instead of being there, he's taking care of sheep. Kind of a dangerous job, but he's willing to do it, and he obeys his father. His father said, I want you to go and take care of your brethren. I want you to take some stuff to them, some food to them. You do it. He did it. He's just very obedient. We find him later on being very obedient to King Saul. He understood something about the family structure. He understood something about the structure of those that would be over him. Uh, one of the reasons David's name is one of the most mentioned in Scripture is that he understood authority. Because he understood authority, he obviously was willing to bend to the will of God. And he got in trouble whenever he would step outside of that line. For instance, when he ended up taking uh, Bathsheba to himself 
and then having Uriah the Hittite murdered, uh, it ended up costing him greatly. But his life is marked by a proper submission to authority. And then in verses 24 through 26, we find that he is shocked by what he saw. It says in verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were so afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Now, David... David, as far as we know, had not fought in hand-to-hand combat with other men. He was not, at this point, a warrior. Now, he had fought a bear and he had fought a lion to protect his father's sheep, and that was dangerous enough, but he wasn't a warrior. His three oldest brothers, though, they were. They were soldiers. Now, coming from the same home, these three oldest brothers, they are quaking in fear from Goliath, just like the other Israelites. I mean, where's Saul? Saul stood at least over seven feet tall. He was head and shoulders higher than any man in all of Israel. If any man should have been willing to go out, it should have been Saul, but he's not going out there. By the way, Jonathan's not going out there, and that almost seems like a shock. You remember back in chapter 14 when, again, they were fighting the Philistines. And it was Jonathan who took his armor bearer and went down into the camp. And just the two of them began fighting Philistines. A great victory had been wrought that day. And when people got news of what was going on, they followed him. But Saul almost had his own son killed for doing what he had done. So evidently, he had quieted the fervor of his own son, Saul had. Nobody's willing to go out and fight this man. Now, if you read some of the different commentators, some of them believe that Goliath was probably nine and a half feet tall, maybe 10 feet tall. Some have estimated that his height might have been as high as 12 feet uh, tall, and that's because he was one of the giants of Anak. Either way, I got news for you, seven foot five or seven foot six guy is a tall guy. Nine, nine would really be super tall. I mean, I don't know about you, I wouldn't be crazy about getting in a ring with the guy. But this man's cursing God. This guy's mocking God and mocking the people of God and challenging the people of God. So we find here is a man who's totally against God. David's shocked by it. But so David just, he says something. Everybody else is quiet. And David says something. It's hard to say something when everybody else is quiet. It's easy to rah, rah, rah when everybody else is rah, rah, rah. When everybody's excited and shouting amen, it's easy to shout amen too. Something about the crowd that can stir people up to do things that they wouldn't do if they were the only one doing it. But here is David. He's heard his God cursed, and he's willing to take a stand. And he is astounded, no doubt, that nobody in the army of Israel is willing to take a stand. They're fleeing. They're in fear. This is a horrible situation. I mean, when he says here, is there not a cause? Well, what was the cause? 
The cause was this man's cursing our God. That ought to make us willing to say something. What do you say when people are cursing God around you? We're used to being quiet, aren't we? Because Christians aren't supposed to say anything when the heathen curse our God. But we should. I mean, you don't have to be unkind, but you can let people know that that God they're cursing is the God that saved your soul that you love. That that Jesus who they're using his name as a curse word is a Jesus Christ who not only loved us so much that he died on the cross for them, but he died on the cross for the very one that's using his name as a curse word. You say, man, that's hard to do. Why? Why is it hard for us to do that? Why is it difficult for us to speak up for the Lord like that? I look at Daniel. Daniel was willing to speak up, of course, when he's presented with the king's meat, but he had purposed in his heart he wasn't going to file himself with the king's meat. Now, no doubt that was because the king's meat was offered up to the gods of the king. And he wasn't going to defile himself. He was willing to do without some things to keep from defiling himself. What a hero. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, they were told that they were to bow to the image of Nebuchadnezzar whenever a musical instrument played. And they didn't bow. Anybody who didn't bow would be thrown into the, into the fire. And man, when the king found out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, people that were officers in his kingdom, they wouldn't bow, he got angry. And he basically told them, if you don't bow the next time the music sounds, you're going to be thrown into the pit and your God is not going to be able to save you. And their reply is, we're not careful to answer thee, O king. Our God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, We're not bowing. I know about you. I wonder where Daniel was at this. I don't know why Daniel's not included in this story too. Now perhaps he was in another part of the kingdom at that time. That could have been. But what about the other Israelites? It's only these three. And they were about to lose everything. I mean, yes, they're... Their lives, but also their prestige, their jobs. No telling what threat that could have been to other family members and all of that. But they didn't bow. And as you've heard me say many times, they are not heroes because they came out of the fire. They're heroes because they were willing to go into the fire. Now, it's a wonderful story with Christ being with them in the fire. But nevertheless, the truth is they took a stand. Why? There was a cause. Now, you wonder if any cause would be great enough if there wasn't life after death and there wasn't a heaven and a hell, but there is life after death. This is not the end. Reincarnation is a lie. You don't come back as something else. This is it. You've got this lifetime to live for God. And listen, whether you die at 50 standing for God or die at 80 standing for God, you need to be standing for God. Either way. So I can only imagine the shock on David when he looks around at his brothers and hears his brother mocking him. But before we say more about about that, you see, we're no longer shocked with wickedness. We've gotten used to it. We've gotten used to it thanks to the TV. We've got used to it thanks to the Internet. 
We are bombarded by wickedness. And isn't it interesting? These people are for the gay marriage, for the transgendered marriage, and now they're shouting again about, about uh, uh, passing a bill to legalize gay marriage. I thought it was already legal. thought that stuff was already going on. And isn't it inter- interesting when the Supreme Court finally did the right thing about Roe v. Wade, And by the way, with Roe v. Wade, it did not stop abortions. Abortions are still going on in America. Now, only the individual states, since Roe v. Wade has been done away with, the individual states get the right to make the decision. But when they tell me a story about some girl having to go from Ohio to Indiana to murder their baby, I'm sorry. Uh, That baby's losing its life. I don't care if they have to travel a thousand miles. But they shout about it. They scream about it. And anybody who disagrees with them doesn't have any right to say anything. And, of course, Christians are willing to sit back and go, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We become like the 7,000 silent saints. I mean, you remember, God said he had 7,000, hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. But Elijah didn't know anything about him because they'd been silent. We ought to be willing to speak up for what we believe. This guy going out over the Internet. You know, of course, I've said a lot of things over the years that I'm shocked we haven't had more feedback from in different cases. But I'm not doing it to get feedback. I'm doing it to be a right voice for standing for truth. And we all need to be that. Take a stand for God. Don't be embarrassed about standing for God. They ought to be embarrassed about standing for the wickedness that they're standing for. Mm, So many things I want to say. Matter of fact, turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. I look at those young people that we had up here today. What do you think? Do you think five years from now when some of them are out of school and going off to college... Do you think the world's going to be an easier and better place for them to live in? You think we got it tough now? It's going to be tough for five years from now. It's going to be tough for ten years from now. It's going to, when they're young adults and they've got their own family, and they'll be facing all kinds of battles that we thought never would happen in the United States of America. But in Ephesians chapter 5, you'll notice in verse 10, He says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather what? Reprove them. Speak out against them. Speak out against things that are wrong and be willing to say they're wrong. I mean, the people in our areas where we live, in our neighborhoods, ought to know we stand for something. I've got news for you. There are a lot of people around this country, they know where Madison Baptist Church stands. They know what we stand for. But now to be sure and to be completely honest, not all of us do. Right. All right, it's what the voice of Madison Baptist Church, which would be the pastor, stands for, and a good number of the people. And I thank God for our good fellowship and all that, and we're reaching out to everybody. We want to see everybody get saved. But it's sad. 
We got too many people. They're willing to be silent believers. They're not going to take a stand. And if God's people won't take a stand, then whatever wickedness comes down the pike, let it happen. And for those of us who have children and grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, they're going to have to live in it, and we stand before God, we'll find out that we're partly to blame for it. You get to verse 28, he was mocked by his brethren. Basically, his brother is saying, who do you think you are? I know you've got wrong motives. You're just doing that to show off. Now, you mark it down. You young people, you made some decisions. You follow through on those decisions and you do right. Some of the young people that didn't make the decisions will mock you and make fun of you. And unfortunately, there'll be times when maybe family members, maybe a mom, maybe a dad, maybe an aunt or an uncle or a grandma and grandpa will get after you because you believe in dressing right or you believe in talking right. You believe in honoring the Lord Jesus Christ and talking about him and they'll, they'll get down and you, oh, you're just trying to show off. Oh, you're just, you're just trying to please your pastor. And nothing wrong with pleasing your pastor, but you ought to want to do right to please your God and stand for your God and do it. But understand, when you do that, some people will mock you and some of those will be members of Madison Baptist Church. That will happen. It's the way it is. Other people in the Eucharist, that'll happen. For adults, when they make, that, they make some decisions in their life, they stop doing things or going certain places or partaking of certain things, there's always going to be some people saying, oh, you're just doing that because you're just following Brother Allison. Now you say, no, that's not why I'm doing it. I saw it in the Word of God. God convicted my heart. That's why I did it. Don't be ashamed of that. Listen, when I got saved, we had a lot of things that needed to change after that, that God worked on us as we heard message after message after message. God dealt with our hearts. We wanted to obey God. We made, it, we made decisions. I don't think any of us have arrived yet. None of us are perfect yet. As we grow in the Lord, we're going to have to make even more decisions to stand up for God. Is there not a cause? Here, these do-nothings are complaining about a fellow who wants to do something. And of all things, it's coming from his own brothers. What about that? His own brothers in the army of Israel. Well, see, they not only have no faith in themselves going down to the battle, but they have no faith that their God would save them, nor that their God will somehow keep David alive if he goes down to battle. Some adults decide they're going to get separated for God, start going soul winning, do what they can for God, and there'll be some people who will mock them and mock their motives, but is there not a cause? David does not let that sidetrack him. So he volunteers, verses 31 through 36. Notice it says, And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. And he sent for him, and David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, 
And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. Now, I think that's a little naive of him to think that fighting a bear would be the same as fighting Goliath. Or that fighting a lion would be the same as fighting Goliath. And I think Saul is thinking, you know, he's pretty naive. All right, he did well against those animals. This man isn't an animal. This man is a trained warrior. He's got, he's got armor. He's got a big spear. This man's killed a lot of men in his life. David, you don't have a chance. And it says, and I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And then he rose against me. I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them seeing he hath defiled the armies of the living God. Now, David is not bragging on his accomplishments. He's being honest. God's kept him alive from those things. God can keep him alive against the Philistine. He makes that plain. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and the bear, and out of the paw of the bear, uh, and out of the paw of the, the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. David said unto, or Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. Now, this next verse is amazing to me. Saul wouldn't go. So Saul says to David, he says, uh, and Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail. Now, Saul's not willing to go, but he's telling David how to go. And that's interesting because there are a lot of people that never go soul winning, but they tell other people how they, they should have done it. Someone will call that up and be upset because the soul winner at Madison Baptist Church came by and asked them if they died tonight, if they knew they were going to heaven. They were as much as saying that I, they didn't think I was going to heaven. And that's not what the soul winner said, but that's how they take it. And so, you say, oh, they should never talk like that to people. Well, how do you talk to them? I don't. Well, shut up. Just shut up. Here's Saul, giving him armor that he hadn't tested. And David, of course, he puts it all off. He doesn't need that. Uh, this is interesting. Notice verse, verse uh, 40. And he took his staff in his hand, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a script. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Now, a lot of people talk about the five smooth stones. That's not all he took, you notice. He took a staff. Why did he take the staff, do you think? Well, all we can do is speculate. I mean, he's taking a shepherd's staff with him. I think he knew how to wield the staff. I think he probably used the staff against the bear and against the lion. And so he is familiar with it. Now, I don't know what that staff is going to do against that giant spear that Goliath has got. But why did he choose five smooth stones? Well, listen to me. If you've got a weapon in your home that if somebody breaks in, you're going to use against them, you don't just put one bullet in it. Isn't that right? I mean, why? It, really? It would seem ignorant just to take one stone out. I think this will do it. Stick it in his bag. Now, some people tried to say, of course, for Goliath's brothers. Goliath's brothers weren't out there as far as we know. Goliath is the only one that's out there. He took five smooth stones out. He's got a sling, got a staff, got the stones. He's ready to go. 
And of course, as he goes out, Goliath is going to curse him. Goliath hates him. As I said, he's at least nine and a half feet tall, maybe as high as 12 feet tall. He's a big one. But this guy volunteers to go out. We need some old-fashioned Christians to say, I am going to get involved even if no one else does. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to make my life count for God. Now, in some cases, that means being a godly layman, serving the Lord, being faithful. Matter of fact, if you can't be faithful, it's, uh, you can't trust somebody who can't be faithful to do whatever it is they surrender to do. So it's a matter of being faithful. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. It ought to be that way for everybody. But uh, we need people willing to go out and do their part, whatever it is. You say, well, I can't do much. Go out and do what you can do. I have found this in the years that I have been a pastor, is that most of the stuff that is done at church is not done by the most highly qualified people. The most highly qualified people don't want to waste their time doing God's work. And so you end up with a lot of people doing God's work that just simply want to serve the Lord. And they may not have much to give him, but that's what they're giving him because that's all they got. So they go out, do the work of God. Praise the Lord. Uh, I can remember when I pastored in Manchester, Tennessee, my song leader was E.C. Bailey, a good godly man. He was one of the deacons of the church. I didn't know how to lead singing. Every song was basically this. And he would do this every song. He didn't know how to read music. But he was a, he was a good, faithful song leader. I could count on him. We had a couple of piano players in the church, but the one who played the music... Miss Edith Farah, I think she just went to be at the Lord not too long ago, uh, always wore sunglasses as she played, did her <laughs> imitation of Ray Charles. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Sweet, godly Christian lady. Uh, she could see. She wasn't blind, but she couldn't read music. Now, if she couldn't read music and the song leader couldn't read music, obviously then he had to pick songs that both of them knew. And he did. And so, man, we had a good service. Everything was fine. We had another gal who, uh, she could read music fine. And she could play fine. But you couldn't count on her to be there. So guess who got used? The one who took what talent they had and gave it faithfully to the Lord. Just a matter of giving yourself faithfully to the Lord Is there not a cause? Now, I have been one of those people. I mean, I like people with nice voices. I I think it's great. We've got some singers here that have got some beautiful voices. I love to hear them sing and praise the Lord. But for the most part, our church is made up of singers. Not singers. I mean, I know some churches you can't get in the choir unless you have a beautiful voice. I don't believe in that. I think everybody's to be a singer. However, to be in the choir, you at least got to be able to hit some of the notes right. Or close. Isn't that right? Somewhere close. That would be fine. But you got to be faithful. 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 I have found that the choir's big enough... (laughs) Those that are coming close to the notes, the only people that can tell are those with perfect pitch. Dr. Robertson had perfect pitch. You know, that has to be torture. 
to have perfect pitch, to hear every wrong note that is played on the piano, every wrong note that is sung by people in the choir. I don't have that good a pitch. So I can appreciate people who get up and sing who love the Lord. I enjoy it. If they're real, they love the Lord, that's fine with me. So, I guess you attract what you want, and that's fine with me too. I'm not downing our choir. We, I like, we've got some in the choir, got beautiful voices. Thank God for them. They help the others. <laughs> so he goes out, he takes no armor, no... <laughs> He's not going to retreat. There's no protection. The only thing that David really has is the Lord. It's the only way he can live. And God, of course, intervenes. God directs that stone to the one soft spot that he could hit. And Goliath is slain. That's a marvelous truth. I'm reminded of William Borden. Now, William Borden was a very talented young man, a Christian young man, brought up in a Christian home. He was the heir to the Borden Dairy fortune. Some of you remember Borden ice cream. I don't even know if there still is Borden ice cream, is there? Does anybody know? Uh, But he was the heir to that. And he felt God was calling him to go to Mongolia to reach the Muslims in Mongolia. And so his family tried to talk him out of it. Here he was, a young man, so much going for him in business and money and all of that. And he gave away his entire inheritance. He gave it to a number of different Christian organizations. He gave it away. And he sat down and he wrote his Bible when he gave away his fortune. No reserves. And when he bought the ticket, he wrote in his Bible, no retreat. When he got on the boat and sailed away with his family still trying to talk him out of it. As he went to his his room in the boat... They was traveling over to Egypt, as a matter of fact. He was going to spend six months in Egypt to try to learn a little bit more about Islam so so he could reach the Muslims that would be up in Mongolia. He sat down and wrote in his Bible, no regrets, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. He got over to Egypt, and he contracted a viral meningitis and died. He never did get to Mongolia. And you say, my, what a waste. No, not at all. Because of his testimony, literally thousands of young men and women surrendered to the mission field. His voice was multiplied by thousands because of his testimony. You see, it wasn't a waste at all. As I believe it was Nate Saint or Jim Elliott, one of those guys who said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to have what he cannot lose. And my, that is powerful to make his life count for God. You may be put in a small place, maybe put in a large space. You maybe only have a short time of service and then be called home because of the place you went to. But it's a matter of surrendering to the Lord and letting him have his will. Better to be used of God for a short time than to never be used of God. Is there not a cause? And you get down to this, you understand the Lord gave him the victory. Notice verses 40 and 41. He took his staff in his hand, 
chose five, chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip, and a sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine, and the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. Go down to verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I am come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beast of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took thence a stone, slang it. I love the way that reads. And he slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, and the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. Now, you would, you would automatically think, I mean, if he's doing that stone and hits him in the head, it hits hard enough, goes deep enough, you would think that he would have fallen backward on his back. But he didn't. He fell forward on his face. Now, no doubt he was stunned. Somebody, I heard one preacher say one day that he believed what happened was David threw the stone. God put his hand on the back of Goliath's head and slammed it into the stone and just kept him going forward. Maybe that's how it happened. I don't know. But the victory came about, and it's the Lord that gave him the victory. If you think we'll see our nation get right by voting, you're wrong. You, if you think it'll get right by demonstrating, you're wrong. By writing and phoning in and all of that, you're wrong. God's going to have to do it. Maybe, just maybe, if we get serious enough about God. I'm talking about the real believers. Get serious enough about God. Maybe God will be merciful and do something in our land. But even if he doesn't, we still got a little bit of light. We need to keep working because the day's coming, the night's coming, when no man can work. I'm reminded of one short passage, and we'll close. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. Notice he said in verse 2, Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they be all adulterers and assembly of treacherous men. And they bend their tongues like their bow for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil. God's basically saying, you know, if I could find a group of people, a small group out in the wilderness, that would be valiant for the truth. I'd leave those other people and just come and meet with them. It doesn't take a lot. Just a few that'll say, here am I, send me. 
It's amazing. I, I don't go over it often enough. But when you think about Madison Baptist Church, and I don't want to embarrass Brother Tony because he's here tonight, but, but uh, you think about this. Back in 1983, when Madison was, I believe, less than 10,000 people. And where that church building was at, where Brother Tony and Brother Love began Madison Baptist Church, literally it was two miles north of Madison. Matter of fact, all this area here was just cotton fields. There wasn't a house around here. It was all just cotton fields here. When he began that church back then, it had 25 people in the very first service. That's not much. That's not much of a beginning, is it? But now think about it. Now, not only do we run what we run and we support missionaries around the world, but just from people out of Madison Baptist Church that have gone out from this place, there are also not just Madison Baptist Church, but there are churches in South Africa, churches in Rwanda, churches in Uganda. There are churches in Spain. There are churches in Chile. There are churches in Brazil. Churches in South Korea. And all of that. I mean, I don't know what kind of vision Brother Tony had. I can't imagine him when he began Madison Baptist Church. Thought about one day, there's going to be churches in many different countries in the world because we began the church right here. I doubt he thought of that. But look what God has done. God did it. He gave himself. There needed to be a church in Madison that stood on the book, that believed the book, that obeyed the book, that reached people with the gospel of Christ. One man who got, had Ken Love come and said, I'll help you. And he was here for about a month and a half. And all that there is today came out of that decision to start a church in a building where a church had folded and simply been given to BIMI. God did it. God gave David that victory. It wasn't David that did it. God did it. God wants to use people. If anybody has no excuse to, to give the excuse, well, I can't do much. Oh, just do what you can do and see what God does with it. He'll do marvelous things. Is there not a cause? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray, dear God, that you'll challenge our hearts.